Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North, and I believe I'm hiding behind an email right now. This is uh, this is like the technical brilliance you can come to expect from the Andrew Lawton show, it looks like, unless my uh, my end is uh, is all messed up here. But in any case, which is entirely possible. If you are seeing me, then uh, don't mind that at all. I'm just getting a look at uh, a different view than you are. Uh, it, it possibly because one second ago, uh, just before I got into my studio in the bunker here, I like slipped down the stairs and I was holding my laptop in one hand and I managed to avoid breaking my laptop or my head, uh, one of which produces uh, constructive things and it's not my head. But I made it in here uh, sitting down and ready to do this. It is a big day and a big week for conservative politics in this country. We're going to be speaking later on in the show about Jason Kenney and his resignation as the, or forthcoming resignation, I should say, of the, as the leader of the UCP and of the Premier of Alberta. And there are still some questions lingering about that. Uh, Danielle Smith, who's already lined up to say that she is seeking the leadership of the UCP and ultimately the premiership of Alberta, is saying that this is a, a grassroots resolution. People saying that they do not have confidence in the numbers you need to stay as the leader in Jason Kenney's leadership. So that's actually something we'll be talking about at great length later on. Uh, and we're covering different provinces today. I want to start with Ontario politics because this is, uh, if you're in Ontario, you may or may not know, we're uh, in the midst of an election right now coming up in just a couple of weeks. It, it hasn't been the most riveting of elections, admittedly. It, it's been a bit sleepy. And uh, certainly for me, because four years ago, I was actually a candidate in the Ontario election. So I, I'm glad to be sitting this one from the sidelines in, in media. But one of the unique attributes of this election is that you have some upstart conservative parties that are positioning themselves to really be alternatives to Doug Ford's government. One of them is the New Blue Party, which was founded by Jim Carajalios and has uh, Belinda Carajalios, who is elected as a PC MPP, as an elected uh, representative up until the writs were issued. And then you also have the Ontario Party, another new party by someone who's been on this show before, Derek Sloan, formerly a Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate and member of parliament, now leader of the provincial Ontario Party. And, and I thought it would be a great idea to actually get Jim and Derek together on this show to talk about what it is that their parties are doing in the landscape of Ontario politics and how they differ from each other. Because this is something I've been getting emails from Ontarians saying, like, I, I don't know which, which of these is supposed to be the party that I vote for. So I thought it'd be good to have a, a friendly collegial debate between the two. Uh, Derek Sloan of the Ontario party accepted uh, rather quickly. Uh, Jim Carajalios declined to participate because he said that basically the, the spokesperson from his campaign said that the Ontario party was not a real contender in their view. So uh, instead, we have Derek Sloan on for a one-on-one -on -one interview, but I wanted it noted that uh, Jim Carajalios was invited to make this a broader discussion and was not interested in doing it. Uh, but I do want to welcome Derek to the show. Derek, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on today. So I, I touched on it a little bit in the intro here, but I, I think it is an important discussion to be had because we talk all the time about the strategic aspects of this, you know, vote splitting and strategic voting. And, and there's also the, the more fundamental philosophical idea, which is that, you know, conservatives oftentimes, I think independence is the, the greatest frustration they have to deal with because you have a lot of groups that are sometimes very difficult to rally together. So why do we have, if we include the PC party here, why do we have three parties that are really 
really going after, I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the same voters in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I think that there there is more room than just sort of poaching off the conservatives for votes. Uh, and, and I'll go into that a little bit later. But uh, I, I think what we're seeing now is just dissatisfaction with Doug Ford. Uh, there are many conservatives, many people who voted for Doug Ford who are frankly appalled at what we've seen the last couple of years and they want new options. And the Ontario party is one of them. Uh, in terms of you know succeeding as a new party, I think that your goal of course has to be more than just taking votes from the conservatives. You have to um, be able to take votes from everybody. We also live in a country where you know roughly half of the people vote, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't trust anybody, who don't like anybody, and I think we can reach those people too. So what is it that the Ontario party is really trying to do? It's not a party that has a conventional name that Canadians are used to that defines it, the Liberals, the Conservatives. So what is the space that you think the Ontario party occupies? Well, you know, I think, I think Ontarians and Canadians generally are looking for parties that they can trust. And our party is a party that's based on, you know, truth, integrity, transparency. And we, we, we walk the talk. Uh, we, we have policies that really want to put freedom and choice back into the hands of Ontarians. And uh, we have a party structure that is based on free votes and, and, trans, and openness and transparency that the mainstream parties just don't have. Let's talk a little bit about that uh, gap uh, that we, we touched on a few moments ago uh, between the New Blue Party led by Jim Carajalios and, and the Ontario Party, because uh, the New Blue Party, to its credit, was the first party to really form in the wake of this dissatisfaction with Doug Ford and the PCs. And, and Jim Carajalios, a longtime activist in Ontario politics, going back to when Patrick Brown was the leader, he, he was the first to carve this out. He's made a big point about how he's running a full slate of candidates for his party. Uh, so the first there, why was an alternative needed? Why, why did someone else need to come along? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, you know, the Ontario Party actually existed before the New Blue Party. Uh, they were founded in 2018. They ran candidates actually in the 2018 election. Um, but but uh, you are correct in the sense that the New Blue, you know, uh, sort of became the first popular party to sort of counter Doug Ford in the minds of many people. Um, what happened in behind the scenes is that there was a variety of people who were trying to bring unity to the freedom movement here in Ontario. So uh, there was Randy Hillier who wanted to to have a party. There was other people who wanted to run a party. Um, yeah, Roman Baber for a time, I know, was thinking of running, uh, starting his own provincial party. That's right. So there, so it's, there was a group of people that wanted to bring some unity to this, and to to sort of go back even further. Uh, the the Carajalios uh, team there has persistently sort of uh, uh, avoided attempts at uni uh, unity. So there was a, a, a chance early on to work with Randy Hillier and others in uh, the spring of 2020. And uh, both Belinda or, or Jim basically said, if I can't run this thing, I don't want any part of it. And so that sort of turned uh, Hillier and some other people off. The the expectation that Randy Hillier had was that there was going to be a party that they were going to, to run together. And to my knowledge, and Randy would have to confirm this, but from what I understand, Randy was blindsided by the announcement of New Blue. So there's been sort of a persistent, you know, going ahead that's left other people behind in, in the starting of parties. I can tell you that personally, in my, uh, in my experience with all this, I was involved with a group of people that was trying to bring New Blue and Randy Hillier together. 
And uh, those efforts failed in large part because of the, you know, the attacks that were made by New Blue against Grandy Hillier. So at that point, many people decided that, uh, you know, there needs to be another option that can maybe bring these folks together. That's at the time that I decided to take over leadership of the New Blue, or sorry, leadership of the Ontario Party. So at the beginning of taking over the leadership of the Ontario Party, we worked immediately to try and unite factions here in Ontario. So we spent several weeks speaking to Randy Hillier and his team, and uh, we were at the table together. There was other people involved, Bruce Party, David Haskell, other people that have had long experience in Ontario politics trying to, you know, create alternatives to the mainstream parties. Uh, Jim was invited to those meetings. He declined to come. Uh, after Randy's movement sort of fizzled in the in the early weeks of this year, uh, January, and, and then the trucker convoy started and Randy turned his attention to the convoy. We then began to reach out to New Blue directly. Uh, we tried multiple different angles, obviously reaching out to them directly. Rick Nichols reached out to them directly. We even had a, a party or a riding president in Durham uh, by the name of Jack, who, who's a New Blue riding president. He met me at the trucker convoy and he said, hey, you're always talking about working together with Jim. Would you actually meet? I said, I'd be happy to meet with Jim. And his team, Jack and some of his friends, started trying to arrange a meeting between Jim and our team. So we actually had a date uh, scheduled. That date was Monday, March the 7th. And um, we, we were expecting to meet with Jim there. We had a couple of our team members. We drove all the way into Port Perry from where I live. And uh, the night before the meeting, uh, Jim sent an email to uh, the people that were organizing it saying that he would not be attending because, uh, and he listed a variety of reasons that were frankly outrageous. One reason was that he said that, that I did not have authority to meet, that I didn't want to meet with him anyhow, that I was uh, you know, under the control of um, uh, Tanya Granick Allen, that I had a, a secret deal with O'Toole, just a, a long list of outrageous accusations. But it was very clear to O'Toole, the people. O'Toole, just to interrupt there, Derek, O'Toole being yeah. the guy who kicked you out of caucus. That's correct. So he claimed okay. that I had a, a secret deal with the, the person who, you know, threw me out of the party. Um, all of this was, uh, uh, you know, thinly veiled uh, a letter to say, I don't want to meet, basically. That's that's how everybody interpreted it. You know, I don't want to meet. I have no interest in meeting, meaning Jim had no interest in meeting. So we showed up at this meeting and our team was there. We had a great conversation with the other New Blue supporters, but Jim and Belinda did not uh, want to come. The very morning, the very uh, morning that we went early that morning, we sent over the proposal that we were going to present to them. So we, we had gotten whiff of the fact that they weren't going to be coming. And so we said, you know what, let's send the proposal that we were going to discuss. So in that particular proposal, we outlined a way that we could work together. Um, obviously, a merger of the parties, you know, a couple of months before an election would probably be challenging. But we said, listen, let's try and work together as best as we can. So uh, at the very least, we should have a, you know, a non-compete clause where we don't run candidates against leaders and prominent members of the party. So we committed to not run uh, a candidate against Belinda, for example, and, uh, and we're sticking to that commitment. So we, we do not currently have a candidate against Belinda. We said that we should continue that uh, strategy as, as wide as possible. So we, you know, maybe it wouldn't be 100% possible to be uh, you know, to work together in every riding, but but at least many ridings we could. So this was a proposal that we sent out. The email that they sent privately to uh, the the to the group there that wanted to meet 
basically said that they didn't even believe that we wanted to meet and that if we did really want to meet, we should send a proposal from our official email. So we did, in fact, do that. And the, the proposal that you just showed on screen is that particular proposal. Um, later, publicly, we released that proposal and said, listen, guys, you've been asking us to work together. We've been trying. And it was challenging, of course, because publicly, Jim and Belinda would say, oh, yeah, we do want to work together. But then privately, they would be shutting down the meetings we were trying to create. So we did, in fact, send the proposal publicly. And then their public response basically said, no, this is a backroom deal. Uh, you know, we don't want to meet, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, again, for anybody who's watching this, it's frustrating because, you know, how do you meet with someone other than asking them to meet? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a secret meeting. It was it was leader to leader. Uh, we could have publicized it. It, it. We weren't trying to hide it. We just didn't want to, uh, you know, uh, 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 preemptively publish anything that they didn't want us to publish. But we would have been happy to meet with them publicly or privately. We still would be. But unfortunately, not only did they decline the, the offer to meet, they began to up the rhetoric of defamatory attacks. And they sent out a very uh, uh, outrageous uh, publication that uh, basically slandered multiple people in the freedom movement. It slandered uh, Tanya Granick Allen. It slandered myself. Uh, of course, they've slandered Randy Hillier uh, and others in the past. They've attacked uh, Rick Nichols, Tom Morazzo, many important people in the freedom movement. So it's, it, it was very clear to us that they had no interest in meeting. Um, they've, they've had multiple opportunities to do that. And they've basically just responded with, with smears and attacks, um, on our part, we're, you know, the Ontario party believes that there's been enough destruction in the last two years to last us for a lifetime. So you're not going to see us, uh, you know, throwing mud at anybody. I don't think, you know, Jim and Belinda are part of some giant conspiracy or something like that. Um, but the fact is, is they certainly have been very challenging to work with. And I think there's a track record and a pattern of that. And, you know, here in the freedom movement, we have to operate in good faith. We have to operate uh, in, in ways that, that unite the movement. And unfortunately, I've seen the opposite from them. Um, and, they've, and they've made a lot of very, uh, you know, aggressive allegations about myself that, that frankly have, have zero basis in fact. Uh, you know, everything from, you know, the generic sort of, I'm in a conspiracy with Doug Ford, to specific things like, um, you know, I've I've never registered a federal party, which is which is false. You can go on the Elections Canada website. The, the party is there. My name's attached to it. You know, they claim that I was raising all kinds of money in Alberta and then bringing it over here to to found the Ontario party. That's illegal. That's that's election fraud. Uh, there's there's that would be a crime to do that. Of course, that was never done. All of our, uh, uh, you know, elections returns were, were filed publicly. You can't, you know, Andrew, you have a, a decent understanding of how political parties work. You can't just put $100,000 into a political bank account. You need to, you need to, no. to trace exactly. <laughs> no, it frustrates candidates immensely. You've got to raise it, you know, individual amounts at a time. No, and, and I just, just to interrupt here, right? Because this has gone on a bit long and there's a lot of detail here. And, and this is why I wanted to have both you and Jim on the show to talk about this, because I, I think this is an important issue. And I think for a lot of people who are not as 
as ingratiated in the conservative movement. They're just wondering, who do I vote for? It, it makes everyone look quite bad. So I, I want to just, and I, I'm going to invite, just for those watching, I'm going to invite Jim on to the show uh, next week to to address some of this and, and other things as well. Like I said, I wanted to do a debate. They didn't want to do that. That's their prerogative. But let me ask specifically here about where the Ontario Party sits. Because one thing I've noted is that you, uh, both you and Jim actually, were, were at the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. You have a couple of people that were very involved in the convoy that are, are running as candidates, Tom Marazzo, who's been on this show, Bridget Belton, who was you know, ultimately the one whose idea that the convoy was. Is there enough support for the convoy, in your view, to build a party that you want to really make a dent in provincial politics? Well, I certainly think that the, the Freedom Convoy was a, was a monumental and important event. And many of the people, as you said, that, uh, you know, pretty much all of the major players that are involved in politics now have chosen the Ontario Party, and I think for good reason. But, uh, you know, we have to go broader than that. I think that we have to, uh, uh, you know, reach people on various issues. And I think the Trucker Convoy is one of them. Um, but we have to be broader and bigger than just the Trucker Convoy as, a, as an issue. Let's talk about you, because obviously you were, and, and we spoke, I think, for the first time when you were seeking the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada in 2020. Uh, you carried on as a Conservative MP, were, were expelled from, from caucus and in a way that I, I think was very, very reprehensible, and we, I said as much on the show. Uh, but then you went out to Alberta. And you were founding a federal party and then you were seeking a seat as an independent in Alberta and you were talking to people there saying, no, you're an Albertan now. Then that election's gone. You're back to Ontario running a provincial party. So, I mean, how do you square the questions that voters are asking about where your loyalties lie? Because a lot of it looks, frankly, very opportunistic. Well, I'll tell you that uh, when it comes to being an independent politician or, uh, you know, somebody in a non-mainstream party, there's no glamour and there's no opportunity. Frankly, it's uh, uh, from, conven from, from conventional standards, it's a fool's errand. Uh, you know, parties like our, you know, independents in Ontario, I think two, two independents have gotten elected in the last 70 years or something like that. It's very challenging uh, and it's been very, you know, challenging on my family, but it's been also rewarding as well in the sense that we get to meet amazing people and fight for values that, that we all hold. Um, with respect to, uh, you know, with respect to going to Alberta and then coming back here, of course, I never, um, uh, you know, never used the words, I'm an Albertan now, uh, you know, things like that. But I certainly, the reason that we went out there is because we were uh, in the midst of, of touring across the country to promote, uh, you know, ending the lockdowns and the freedom issues. And as you've stated, I did register a federal, federal party. The party was, in fact, approved a couple of months ago. But it took Elections Canada months and months to approve it. And, and of course, it was not approved in time for the election. Uh, our original intention, having that party, was to run candidates in both the West and the East. We wanted to have strong candidates in the West, strong candidates in the East. And, uh, you know, looking back, it's easy to see when the election was called, but nobody really knew exactly when it was going to be called. There was rumors, but there's always rumors. Uh, the, you know, the, the last two years, there's always rumors there's going to be an election. So we were in the middle of a tour in Alberta when the election was called. And we decided to uh, to to be able to, to run some candidates in the east and the west. Ultimately, my wife actually ran in the riding that I held. And I ran in a, uh, a Banff Airdrie in Alberta, which, in fact, uh, was held by the conservative whip. And I was making a double point. Uh, one, you know, to kind of target the conservatives in their homeland, but also to make the point that 
you know, that particular whip of the party was the person who was enforcing discipline and keeping so many conservative MPs quiet during one of the biggest crises we've ever had in this country. So, um, but then why not continue building a federal party? Why, when that didn't work out, do you jump into another party? Yes, that's a very good question. So after the election, our party had still not been approved. So, so our party was only approved in February. And uh, I've always made the commitment to Canadians and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the pledge to fight for freedom wherever I possibly can. We, we, all, we all admit, or, or anybody who's in the freedom sphere admits that we need to revitalize politics municipally, provincially, and federally. So the Ontario election was the next election uh, on, on the docket, so to speak. It, you know, it's June 2nd, it's only a couple of weeks away. Um, initially, I had planned to basically uh, support behind the scenes, uh, you know, whatever party was available in Ontario. So there was the new Blue Party. Randy Hillier was talking about forming something. So I had the intention of helping out one of those two parties. And so I spoke uh, a little bit with Jim. I spoke a little bit with Randy Hillier. And I was involved with a group of people that was trying to bring both of those two movements together. And so uh, multiple uh, meetings were set up to try and do so. And, you know, frankly, both, both of those people, but particularly Jim, uh, you know, sewered those meetings by, by going haywire against Randy Hillier. And he, he put out a litany of tweets accusing Randy of, you know, some very horrible things, you know, basically being a fake and a fraud. And that's, and that's, you know, that's not a nice thing to say. That's the worst thing you could say about somebody in, in the freedom movement. So those meetings failed, uh, and and at that point, the group of the group of people that was trying to bring that together said, "Listen, uh, they didn't they didn't expect that Randy would be able to get something off the ground in time for the election, and and that and they were correct in that, and they also felt that that Jim's behavior was was divisive and was creating problems within the freedom movement. So they thought by creating a new option or bringing a new option to the table, it might provide a way to bring people together." And so that's what we basically have attempted to do from the beginning of that. So, you know, in terms of um, in terms of my, you know, uh, career, so to speak, in politics, I'm hoping to be effective wherever I can. And I and I felt that at this time in Ontario, I could provide a positive option for Ontarians and best case scenario, bring some people together or work together or, or heal some rifts in the movement. And, you know, in some go ahead on that, Derek, do you have a plan then beyond this one election to lead the Ontario party? So I don't believe in leader centric parties. I believe that parties need to be able to outlive their leaders and not just be focused on a cult of personality. Um, I, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously planning on leading the party through this election, uh, but I don't plan on leading the party forever. And that's not saying that I'm, you know, have a date that I'm going to step down or anything like that. But what we're trying to do is build a movement that's not just based on a Jim or a Derek or a whatever, but is an open party that has democratic principles that can thrive and prosper. So that's that's what I'm going to be creating here with the Ontario party. And uh, that that will outlive uh, my tenure as leader. But I'm afraid that some you're not other... ruling out. I mean, if there is a, an opening to lead an Alberta focused freedom party or go back into federal politics, that's not something that you're ruling out in the next few years. Yeah. So all of those things, all of those things are possible. I'm not saying that, you know, I have a definitive plan to do those. I only, you know, whatever I choose to do, I do it with all my heart. And right now I'm leading the Ontario party and I'm going to continue doing that with all my heart until I feel that I will be better, uh, of better use somewhere else. But no, I don't think we should wed ourselves to any particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
party for the rest of our lives. And, and some of my concerns with some of the other freedom parties just generally in this country is that they're doing a lot of good things, but they're really focused on kind of the, the leader and a cult of personality. And we have to move beyond that. You mentioned earlier, I think quite unfortunately, accurately, that uh, the non-establishment parties and candidates have a very rough go in, in Canada and in Ontario specifically. Uh, what do you consider for a, an upstart party that doesn't have any representation in the legislature that's been elected to the legislature? I know Rick Nichols uh, did join the Ontario party. What do you consider a win in this election on June 2nd? Well, I think it'd be, it would be I, very ideal for us to, to win a bunch of seats. And uh, even though that would be challenging, we're hoping that that could be a possibility. Um, it would be great to have a high vote uh, percentage as well. Um, already in some of the polls, uh, our party is, has, is basically in spitting distance of the Green Party. I'd love to blow right past the Green Party and win a couple of seats. Of course, we're not just fighting to win one seat. We're, we're fighting to win the whole thing. But uh, as you and I both know, that that would certainly be challenging. Derek Sloan, leader of the Ontario Party. Good to talk to you, Derek. Thanks for coming on today. Really glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And again, like I said at the beginning, I, I'm going to, right after the show's done, send an email to the New Blue and invite uh, Jim Carajalios to come on the show next week. The reason I, I'm speaking to Derek now is because I, I invited the two of them trying to have a debate uh, between the two. It been, wouldn't have been a formal, I wouldn't have been asking them about their Netflix preferences. It wouldn't have been an Edmonton Conservative Party of Canada debate, but uh, I was going to have a, a discussion between the two, uh, but New Blue declined. So it, it just ended up being uh, Derek that joined, but I, I'm very glad he did. I, and like I said, I mean, there's a lot happening in conservative politics in general this week uh what happened last night in alberta is quite significant not just in the development and landscape of alberta politics uh, but also in i think the conservative movement the lower case c conservative movement more broadly just to bring you up to speed here is the clip of jason kenney announcing his forthcoming resignation friends uh, tonight the members of our party completed a democratic exercise in accountability the result is not what I hoped for, or frankly what I expected. But I've been clear from day one that I will respect the decision of the members in this leadership review. And I expect all members of our party to do just that. Friends, while while 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold of a majority, it clearly is not adequate support to continue on as leader. And that is why tonight I have informed the president of the party of my intention to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. I'm sorry, but friends, I truly believe that we need to move forward united. We need to put the past behind us. And our members, a large number of our members, have asked for an opportunity to clear the air through a leadership election. And I've recommended, therefore, uh, that uh, the provincial board schedule a leadership election in a timely fashion. So as you heard there, the room itself seemed to be very pro-Kenny and very surprised that he was considering and, and contemplating stepping down. And the reason, I think in part, and I, I don't have the clip handy, but uh, Jason Kenney, when he was on this show, what was it, two or three weeks ago, said that he considered 50% plus one a win. He said if he got that narrow, narrow, narrow margin of victory, just over 50%, he would consider that uh, the threshold at which he was able to remain the leader. And I, I said on the show then, and I've said since, that functionally, you do not get to do that 
without severely, severely, severely alienating your party. Because it means that some of those are not even that enthusiastic. They were just like, yeah, I guess I'll vote for him. So if you have 50% plus one, or I think as he got 51.4%, per, uh, it really isn't a significant mandate to lead. And I, I think he understood that very quickly. And I, I want to speak about Jason Kenney, because I know when I've had him on, especially in the COVID era, I've had a lot of people reach out quite angry at me for not being angry at him. They uh, look at the lockdowns that he said would never happen, the vaccine passports he said would never happen, the jailed pastors, and a litany of other things, which I am on side with you in hating and condemning. And they want me to hate Jason Kenney. They want me to yell at Jason Kenney. They want me to scream at him. And anything short of yelling at him is not good enough for people. And I, and I know that. And I, get, I probably have gotten more nasty emails about my interviews with Jason Kenney than about anything else I've, I've done in, in quite a while. And, and I understand the frustration. And I have put it to him. I mean, I'm not an angry person. Uh, my goal in an interview, as I've always said, is I want to get an answer. Once I get an answer, I'm not trying to convince the person I have on the line. I'm not trying to berate them or punish them. I'm, I'm trying to put to them so people can hear the question, hear the answer, and decide for themselves. And I've always, always, going back years in politics, had an appreciation for Jason Kenney. He's always been a principled conservative. He's always been a, a tremendously hard worker, a consummate professional. And he's always made the time to come on this show. I cannot tell you the last time, in fact, I don't think it's ever happened, where I've requested an interview with Premier Kenny, and it has not happened at some point within the next couple of months. Now, I haven't abused that, and I haven't invited him on for a, you know, a weekly segment or a morning call every day or something like that, but I've always asked, and it was, sometimes it takes a little while to schedule, but they've always said yes. Uh, that interview I did with him uh, last week at the Canada Strong and Free Network Working Conference, that was set up on about 30 minutes' notice. Uh, just by, by reaching out, I said, he's here. Will he do a sit down? And, you know, for all the frustrations I have about political candidates, specifically conservatives who talk a big game about being annoyed with the mainstream media, but don't actually make the time for independent media. Jason Kenney has never been like that. Even when he knows that he is unpopular with the very people who watch this show, he has taken the time to speak to the audience of this program. Now, has it won him any support? Has it uh, earned me any affection? I don't know. But he's done that. And I think it takes a tremendous amount of self-confidence to do that. Maybe hubris to some people, but I, I think self-confidence and self-assuredness. And, and the one thing I've never doubted about Jason Kenney is that he's principled. And I think that he has served this country, and I think he served his province in a tremendously good way. Now, does this mean he has not done things that I find abhorrent, and his government has not done things that, that I find abhorrent. Absolutely not. And I'm a firm believer in never defining people by their worst traits and their worst characteristics and their worst decisions. I think people need to be decided on balance. I'm not an Albertan. It's not for me to say whether he should stay or go. And I don't know for sure if he is going. One of the interesting things I would point out here about Jason Kenney is that he hasn't actually said when he's going to step down. There's some speculation and I, I don't know, I've been on air for the last half hour. I don't know if it's changed then. Some speculation he could run for the leadership of the UCP. He could actually end up replacing himself, depending on what happens in the next few weeks and months. The uh, party has about a year until the next election. I think it's like May, well, it's May something in, in 2023. So there's about a year to go until Albertans are going back to the polls. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Jason Kenney could be on the ballot then. But 
whatever issues I've had with him, and I, I've called a spade a spade when the, they have arisen, I, I think he is a very decent person and a very good leader. And unfortunately, that good leadership didn't manage to uh, hold in his own caucus. And, and that was a big thing. I, I think that one of his great failings, just as an outsider looking in, was his inability to manage his caucus. And I don't mean manage in the sense of control. I mean manage in the sense of make sure that people in his caucus feel included and feel heard and feel listened to. I, I mean, the UCP allows more dissent in caucus than a lot of other parties do, generally. I mean, Doug Ford, he was kicking out people. I think on average, he kicked out like one and a half MPPs a year from the PC caucus. If you take a look at all the independents uh, that were uh, stepping aside just before this election compared to people that were in the PC caucus after the last election, whereas Jason Kenney, he had people in his caucus that were tweeting for him to resign and they still remained in his caucus. So, I mean, part of that is that he didn't want to take a heavy-handed approach to these people and then have more pop up in their place. But the reason I'm bringing all of this up is just to say, do not let your hatred, do not let your hatred cloud what is a very distinguished career that has lasted many years. And, and yeah, I, I'm going to say to Jason Kenney, thank you for your service. What, whatever happened in the last two years, however it ended, thank you for your service. I, I don't think people should be defined by their worst traits and their worst characteristics. But I, I do think looking at the bigger picture here, we are in the midst of a tremendous reckoning in the conservative movement right now. You look at uh, Pierre Polyev, who is, I think, very much reshaping the traditional conservative coalition. He's trying to do what Maxime Bernier and the PPC did in the last election, which is appeal to people who genuinely feel left behind by the establishment, left behind by Canadian politics. And, and I, I hate Trump comparisons because I find them so lazy, but it is similar. I guess I'm doing this, but it's not lazy now. It's similar to Trump in that Trump did not win because he had conventional Republican support. He won because he moved the base and he changed the rules of the game and he changed the playing field entirely to something else. Pierre Polyev is doing that in his rallies. Now, Jean Charest, to his uh, credit, is doing something in, in the opposite way. He, he's still trying to reshape the boundaries, but he's also trying to avoid the conservative base in a way that Pierre Polyev is not. Pierre is leaning into the conservative base. Jean Charest is trying to talk to all these other people saying, listen, the only way we're going to win is if you have a guy like me in the running, if you have a guy like me leading the party. But we time and time again go back to this question of what conservative politics is supposed to be and what the conservative movement is supposed to be. And I want to play a couple of clips for you here. Uh, these are just impromptu interviews I did when I was in Edmonton last week covering the conservative leadership race. The first is with Drew Barnes. Now, Drew is one of those MLAs who was kicked out of the UCP caucus by Jason Kenney. And, and Drew was a very outspoken advocate for independence in Alberta, an advocate uh, speaking out against lockdown and evidently had a little bit too much independence for Jason Kenney's liking. Here's my chat with Drew. Let's start with the elephant in the room here. You were kicked out of the United Conservative Party caucus. Here you are at a Conservative Party of Canada leadership debate. Do I take from that that you haven't thrown in the towel on the established Conservative parties in this country? <laughs> well, the UCP, of course, the big date on the UCP is May 18th, the vote on Jason Kenney's failed leadership. We all saw how he twisted and turned and took away members and Albertans' chance to vote. So, so the UCP, that, you know, that's a, a big separate problem. But the Conservative Party of Canada, of course, is, is the closest opportunity we have here in, in Alberta, in Cypress Medicine Hat, to having 
meaningful power and meaningful legislation to get some economic freedom and some individual opportunity. So, so I'm grateful that uh, you know these people again are going across across Canada and expressing their ideas. I'm hoping tonight, though, to hear what's in it for Alberta. Who's gonna who's gonna break that sacred cow of equalization? Who is going to give us? fairness when it comes to the Supreme Court of Canada, representation in the House of Commons, and the Senate. I want to hear some talk about that and some meaningful action. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, my my constituents, I was grateful to be on the Fair Deal panel two years ago. It's 80% of Albertans that are that are demanding from Ottawa a fair deal, one shape or another, and uh, I hope I'll hear some of that tonight. Obviously, candidates have generally come out in favor of oil, in favor of pipelines, against Justin Trudeau's handling of it. I think a lot of times people mistake having a solid energy policy with having a solid Western Canada policy. When the two aren't synonymous, there are other concerns in the West. I haven't heard them brought up in the leadership race so far, and we don't have any candidates that are from the West. I know Pierre Polyev was born out here, but uh, doesn't represent here. So do you think it is possible to have a really Western Canadian-focused platform from any of these candidates and then from the party moving forward? Well, I'd say it's to their detriment, and it's at their risk if they don't. Uh, we saw PPC do fairly well last time. Uh, Maverick Party didn't do as well, but had a lot of good candidates. So there's a lot of there's a lot of good, solid Albertans and Westerners that are stepping up to demand fairness, to demand a greater voice in our country. Or, or other consequences. Uh, of course, in my Fair Deal uh, panel dissenting report, one of the things I said is we should have an independence referendum down the road, give Ottawa two or three years to give us a fair deal, and then let Albertans hold Ottawa accountable to whether or not they've, they've done that. So my being here tonight is part of that, to see what's in it, in it, in it for Alberta. Um, the oil and gas thing is amazing. You know, we see that even though it wasn't a great huge amount in, in terms of the world, uh, 100 million barrels of oil used per day, the fact that Canada was buying some oil from Russia, the fact that America was buying, I think it was almost a million barrels a day from Russia, uh, and the fact that, you know, the governor of Michigan almost ended uh, energy security for Canada, uh, and uh, the fact that we all know the hypocrisy. If we could get a Northern Gateway or, or the Trans Mountain Pipeline twinned, the getting more of our good oil and gas to, to Asia would be the best thing to improve air quality in the world and, and how that hypocrisy continues is beyond me. So uh, yeah, let's uh, you know let, let's see some, some real action. Hey, maybe tonight they'll talk about Trudeau saying he's going to appeal the uh, appeal court of Alberta's decision that that constitutional overreach on the no more pipelines, uh, the, the uh, Emissions Accountability Act. Uh, let, yeah, let's, let's stay focused on uh, a strong Canada, but, but that comes from a strong Alberta. And just lastly, if Jason Kenney is not successful in his leadership review and that party goes through a reckoning, would you want to be welcomed back into the UCP? I'm certainly going to weigh all my options. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of my UCP uh colleagues, past colleagues this week. We've, we've gone for a lot of walks, lunches and coffees and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of similar values there. There's a lot of people that share the same frustrations as I do even though they weren't ejected from, from caucus. But, but Andrew, let's be clear. If Jason Kenney isn't gone on the 18th, the chances of it being Premier Rachel Notley next time are so high and the chances of devastation for Alberta and our, and our next generation is very, very high. Everywhere I go, Premier Kenny, people tell me it's time for Premier Kenny to go. He got 55% of Albertans voting for him last time. Now he's unlikely to get 55% of his own club, his own members voting for him. It is so time for him to do the right thing and get out of the way and, and give other Albertans a chance to make Alberta the freest and most prosperous place in Canada. 
Now, that was uh, recorded a uh, week and one day ago, and it ended up proving rather prescient from MLA Drew Barnes, although he was tight-lipped on, on whether he would be the one who would uh, jump up and, and actually seek the leadership himself or, or try to rejoin the party. Uh, this morning, Danielle Smith had a press conference in which she spoke about her bid to replace Jason Kenney as UCP leader. You also have Brian Jean. And again, like I said earlier, you have the federal conservative leadership race going on as well. Also at that debate in Edmonton, I ran into Andrew Scheer, who is a former leader of the Conservative Party of Canada himself. He, now he's backing, I should say, Pierre Polyev here. So he's not a, a neutral arbiter in this race. But, it, but we did speak a little bit about the importance of conservatism in conservative politics, which shouldn't sound like a radical concept, but I, I think it's one that needs restating every now and then. Andrew, you've done this before, the leadership debate. Now, you had, I think, it a lot harder because you were up against like 12 other candidates uh, when, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you ran in 2017. But, but realistically, when you are in a leadership race and you're appealing to conservative members, not necessarily Canadians as a whole, how do you approach this without alienating yourselves from the Canadians whose votes you're going to be seeking later on? Well, uh, you know, uh, the key is to be who you are and, and be authentic. And uh, that's what I did when I was leader. And I was very pleased to see uh, Pierre do that uh, tonight. And one of the great things about Pierre is uh, he's been saying the same things his entire life. You know, when he was uh, a university student, he was uh, writing essays about uh, making Canada the freest country uh, in the world. And uh, he was doing that his entire career as a member of parliament. And that's what we heard uh, again tonight. So it's important in a, in a leadership race that you are honest, you're upfront, and that People believe that you're going to do what you're, you, you say you will. And uh, that's something that uh, is, is incredibly important when Conservative members are thinking about who to cast their ballot for, who will actually do the things that they're saying they will do during this race. And Pierre has that advantage over, uh, over the other candidates. You and I spoke uh, when you were about to depart as leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and you had said something that stuck with me about how you wished you had you know, pulled a little bit more, you know, pulled some more punches, and uh, or not pulled punches, I guess, and been a bit more yourself. What's your advice to whoever is the next leader on, on how they can stay grounded when you have all of the consultants and campaigners and polling data and all of that in your ear that, that is kind of trying to push you in a different direction? Well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, advice is, is good to listen to, to consider, but you can't find yourself in a position where uh, you're you're just in a, you're completely f a fabrication of something, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people give advice, you know, don't pick a fight on this, don't pick a fight on that, but Canadians want to see contrast. Our members want to see contrast. Our members want to see how you're going to be able to handle yourself in a general election campaign. You know, there's, there's some people complaining about uh, some of the exchanges in this leadership race. Believe me. Uh, this is tame compared to what the liberal war machine is going to do to the next le uh, leader. It's tame compared to what the corporate media is going to do. You know, all the all the media outlets that are subsidized by Justin Trudeau are going to be a lot tougher on the next conservative leader than uh, than the than the people up on stage here tonight were. So I think it's important for Keynes and our members to see who can handle themselves under pressure with that kind of uh, sparring back and forth. And I actually enjoy that contrast. Elections are about contrast, about differences. Uh, we've got leaders who are uh, advocating for some policies and we've got uh, others advocating. For That's the nature of a debate. So I'm glad to see some of that coming out in this leadership ca uh, campaign.
Uh, you know the, the story better than anyone else. The media tends to go to the same old bag of tricks. Even when you have candidates that are very much pro-choice, they're still asking about abortion and, and stuff like that. So how do you keep the big tent together? And I know you're supporting Pierre Polyev, so let's say that your candidate wins. How, how does Pierre Polyev keep the so-called big blue tent together, keep the social conservatives happy, keep the red Tories, the libertarians, keep all of that together, while also making it so that people feel like they have a place and, and they're getting some policies on offer? Yeah, well, this is a, a critical component to it. You know, party unity doesn't happen just because the leader yells, uh, you know, runs around yelling at people to stay united. You know, we, we, we've seen that with other uh, with, with other conservative leaders at different times at different levels. And the, the key is to engage with all the different types of conservatives in our coalition and find that common ground. And one of the reasons why I decided to endorse Pierre was because of his message about uniting around freedom. I think that's very important. Uh, I know that's very important that uh, you can have a difference of opinion. You know, I, I might think one thing you might think another but if we have a government that's going to give us the freedom to disagree and live our own lives and make our own decisions with ourselves or our family then we can agree on that and we can both live out our life the way we want to and uh, so that's that's the way to do it is is to find that area of common ground and treat all those people with respect and that's something that i know many people in our party are looking for in the next leader say okay i just want to make sure my voice is heard that when i get up at a convention when uh when my member of parliament speaks in the house of commons that they're not going to be punished because they have a different view than the leader may have perfect thank you thank you very much that was former Conservative Party of Canada leader Andrew Scheer caught up with him in Edmonton as well. I, I believe he's on the debate prep team for Pierre Polyev, if, if memory serves. I, I couldn't actually tell you where I learned that from, but I, I'm pretty sure someone told me. Maybe it was Andrew. Maybe it was someone else. Who knows? I don't think I made it up. I, I try not to do that on the show, but uh, nevertheless, thanks very much to all of you for tuning in. That does it for today, but just one plug before we go. If you missed yesterday's program, I'll tell you again, I am off on... Actually, today's Thursday, so tomorrow... Tomorrow, I am off to Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. I am going to be there to cover it. No, don't worry. I'm not selling out. I'm not joining uh, Klaus Schwab's global anti-capitalist organization. I'm, I'm going because I want to separate conspiracy theory and all of the people that dismiss it all as conspiracy theory from the reality in their own words, in their own thoughts, in their own programming and planning, their own agenda, what it is they seek to do globally and in a number of countries like Canada, whose Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, sits on the advisory board. And, and that's the whole point here. This is not about capitulating to conspiracy theory. It's about shining a light on an organization that if you take it at its word, take it at face value, wants to do drastic and in some cases uh, draconian things to free market economics and to capitalism and basically to the global order as we know it. And this is not about one guy sitting in the Swiss mountains pulling the strings. It's about bringing all of these leaders together who seem to be buying into a lot of these things. I mean, the, the book that I'm reading right now by Klaus Schwab is his latest work called The Great Narrative. And I'll have more on this next week as we see the conference shape up. But I, I've had a lot of people that have reached out to me since I announced on the previous show that I was going that have said, uh, you know, we're praying for you. Best of luck. I'm, I'm really pulling for you. So thank you for that. It is truly important. And I, I think it's important to be there and, and cover this because I can't tell, I could not tell you the last time, if ever, an independent journalist has gone into the lion's den 
like this to uh, report on what's happening there. And, and like I've said, I, I don't even know what my coverage is going to look like yet. I know they don't want me there. I know I'm a little bit crafty, though. I'm not going to break any laws, but I am going to try to ask some people some questions and, and really figure out what's going on there. And I still have not been able to learn who the Canadian delegation is going to be. So if the government won't give me the list, I might have to just walk around and look for, you look Canadian. Do you look Canadian? You, yeah, okay. Yeah, you look Canadian. All right. Who are you and what are you doing here? So uh, that'll be coming up next week. So do stay tuned on that. And truly, if you want to pitch in and support our coverage, uh, you can do that by going to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news, and you can jip in a few bucks as you're able to. And we will absolutely, absolutely be so appreciative of that. I know I will as we uh, head out on this. It'll be a bit of an adventure, but I'm looking forward to it. So with that, we will talk to you soon. I'm going to have another show tomorrow. Uh, i trying to pack them in this week before I head away. Uh, so don't miss that. But we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.